0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. Really wish that you could visit us at outcomesrocket.health slash reviews where you could rate and review today's episode we have an amazing guest his name is jacob levinson he's the ceo at map health management jacob's extensive career is focused on being very dialed into the healthcare center he's been a member of board of directors at the levinson Foundation. It's a privately funded philanthropic organization chartered to really develop, manage, and fund diverse portfolio and humanitarian activities around the world. He's a member at Tri-Private Capital. He's just done so many things in the realm of just contributing to this humanitarian capacity that his fit in healthcare makes so much sense. And you guys all hear the passion in his voice when we dive deeper. But what I want to do is open up the microphone to Jacob so he could fill in any of the gaps in the introduction. Jacob, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be on with you. No, good, good job introduction. Nothing to add. Looking forward to the next 45 minutes or so of, of hitting some of these important topics.
0: Absolutely. And so, Jacob, why did you decide to get into the medical sector? You could have done so many things, but you decided to land here.
1: Why? I ask myself that often. <laughs> uh, it, it's like a Greek tragedy, right? <laughs> Whereas the more you run from it, the more you run into it. <laughs> so I grew up around a lot of active substance use disorder in my house. You know, child of the late 80s, 90s, kind of grew up in that scene, that kind of stuff, and watched family members struggle. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was align my professional career with anything that had to do with addiction or substance use disorder. So, of course, that's exactly what happened. So, <laughs> it, it wasn't by choice. It was by, you know, I don't know, some sort of gravitational pull, maybe back to, to what I knew. So, it, it's no, I don't think it's any secret that you grow up kind of around substance use disorder and then someone like me ends up involved in writing algorithms to detect active substance use. I mean, I've been doing it since I was two. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know if that was a coherent explanation, but I was born into the addiction world in that sense.
0: Yeah, it was woven into your fiber as a as a kid and it was sort of like something you've been doing, so why not continue to do it?
1: There's a lot of work that needs to be done in this space out there and I felt like that we had an opportunity to make some change and that we need to put our best foot forward and go do something. So, yeah, it's a exciting time and really pivotal kind of critical juncture in history. We're watching so many things transform that are going to drive this for the next generation, two generations. So kind of having a a front seat at some of that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's super exciting. And so for the listeners, maybe you could dive in a little bit on uh, what some of the work that you guys do and and how it's relevant to the space.
1: Sure. So I'll try to keep it simple. We focus predominantly on individuals who have a substance use disorder diagnosis, what we call addiction, just to kind of put that in some staggering terms. 22 and a half, 23 million Americans fit the criteria for substance use disorder, which is
0: That's a big huge. number. A I didn't know it was number. that high.
1: Is that high. And this, here's a bigger number. It's mind-blowing. The national economic impact of substance abuse, a little bit different than substance use disorder, but substance abuse is about $740 billion annually. Wow. So that's almost in line with our national defense budget. But that's things like work loss productivity. That's every dollar that is expended, if you will, as a result of substance abuse, sweeping up glass after DUI recs, everything. So, and Trump, a couple of weeks ago, declared this a public health emergency, a public emergency. Yes. We do have a public health crisis, opioid crisis, which is grabbing headlines. Yes. okay, But it's by far not the number one cost driver, nor mm-hmm. is it the number one kind of, of killer in the SUD world, if you will. Oh, well let's set tobacco aside, but alcohol by far kills more people than opioids still to this day. Yeah. It just doesn't do it in a headline grabbing way like a fentanyl overdose does. But to jump to your question quickly, we manage people who have a substance use disorder diagnosis using peers. That means people who are in successful recovery. But what we do that's really interesting, we tech enable them and we data enable them. So we put a lot of tech and other tools at their fingertips that help them identify people who are struggling, make better decisions and helping them Ultimately, the whole game here is to improve outcomes for people with substance use disorder and chip away at that 740 billion dollars that we're hemorrhaging as a as a nation.
0: Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Definitely worthwhile work and you're named one of Becker's 112 entrepreneurs to know. You're obviously making a splash in in the space. What do you think is going to be the key to make sure that this issue SUD, the substance use disorder gets addressed in in a way that needs to be in order to reduce the cost and bend the curve there.
1: Well, here's the bad news is this opioid crisis is not going to end anytime soon. This is so interwoven into our care delivery system, just from the opioid prescribing techniques that aren't changing anytime soon. Culturally, as a nation, I think, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. When I was 17, 18, 19, 20, there's a rite of passage that happens in the American psyche of we're we're entitled to go out and party and a lot of that entails substance use so the chemicals aren't going away okay so what are we going to do about it i think is the the response now ultimately i think that we have to bring data to bear so that we can make more informed decisions where in the absence of data myth flourishes right right you think back like a, a a map in europe from the 1300s and you go and you look out on the edges and there's dragons and the world is flat. Well, they didn't know it was out there. So the imagination okay. went wild, they put dragons, and the earth is flat, right? Myth flourishes. Right. So we have very little data that drives the delivery of treatment services in the country, and it doesn't have to be that way. So we can improve that. And ultimately, just to get far out there on you, I do believe the, the end solution lies in, in genomics with mm. addiction. I think we have a brain disease here that one day I would like to believe there's a, a genomic solution, but we're nowhere. Even in the stratosphere of, of that, yet today.
0: Interesting. That's an interesting hook.
1: Either it's physiological and it has, it's a brain disease or it's not, if it is. And we talk about addiction being genetic and having features that point to it, have, uh, people having a genetic propensity for addiction, those kinds of things. I've seen it in my own family. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think that's totally the, the way to characterize this, but it does seem to have a physical and structural feature to it around how the brain structure, if that's true, what role does epigenetics and genomics have down the road and and really from a a therapeutic side?
0: Yeah, super, super fascinating. You obviously spend a good amount of time thinking about this and working in the field. So really excited to dive into maybe some examples. Can you share a story with the listeners about how you guys have applied this and and gotten some improved outcomes?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll just go with the first reaction there is maybe not the most important one, but one that comes to mind. Yeah. And historically, we have followed thousands of different metrics around people in early recovery, people not in recovery at all who are totally just using. And we're trying to understand who uses and why, who gets well and why, who doesn't get well. And if you kind of understand all that this cause and effect relationship, when can you go in and take interceding action to improve people's outcomes? So I'm just winging it here anecdotally off the top of my head. <laughs> That's fine. I don't have anything I'm like referring to. But anecdotally, he, he, here's one that I always thought was, was critical that stood out. In the emerging adult population, I'll go ahead and add on the young professional because that matters too. So basically yes. 18 to 35. Okay, 18 to 35 in that range. There's about a 90 day window when they get out of an acute care setting, like intensive outpatient or above. Like, basically, if they've gone away to treatment somewhere, there's about a 90 day window for them to get back in school or find employment or return to their job. If they don't do one of the three, it is such a leading indicator that someone is going to experience recidivism, go back to a higher level of care, have a colossal relapse, right? And so, what we've been able to do with that kind of information. Basically, here's what it says: If you do not have a job, if you're not back in school, or you've not found a new job in 90 days, your likelihood of a successful outcome is very low. So that said, what does that mean in the acute care side? That data goes back and informs that acute care environment, and it says you better have some serious jobs training going on. Yeah, you better have some serious, you know, some programming to that end. So that's my reaction. I, I mean, we could pull 100 of these off the shelf.
0: No, it's good. Yeah, it's good. So just. And think that one falls directly on the social determinants of health. Would you agree?
1: Agree. I don't think we have a client, which our clients are primarily healthcare plans, by the way, who is not caught up in social determinants of health, but we need those to be more proactive and or prospective, I'm sorry, in nature. Right. But it's good to see any form of standardization happening in the behavioral health or substance use disorder space, which is the most fragmented thing in the world, so.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great call out, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's what happens outside of the hospital that actually determines somebody's outcomes. And with the substance abuse field, it's uh, interesting to note that there's nothing very different from it.
1: It's a chronic disease. We treat it primarily with an acute care model. I mean, imagine if we employed that model for say diabetes then we would be back in the early 1900s, late 1800s. So we still, as a country, use an acute care model for a chronic disease that 22 and a half million Americans fit the criteria for, which it just boggles my mind that we're like in the dark ages over that. Chronic disease requires chronic management, okay? And so that, that's where some of our initiatives have come in, and I think the world's really moving in this way, saying, wait a minute, we can't just discharge people out the back door and not give them the tools to manage their disease, keep it in remission, and more effectively kind of get get a sustainable life here in, in recovery.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really neat uh, idea. And, and you know, you guys have tried a lot of things, MAP health management. You guys are very focused on the outcomes. You guys are very focused on the data. Out of all the things that you've tried, I'm sure not all of them have have worked, Jacob. And so, my question to you here as we all look for ways to innovate and and create better results, Can you share a story with the listeners of a time when you had a setback and what you learned from it?
1: Yeah, I I, I would say my experience is mostly full of anecdotal stories where I can tell you what not to do.
0: (laughs) Let's Uh, go for it.
1: Right, so there's a lot of the, geez, don't do this, don't do that. If you go and you you open the earliest kind of notebooks of MAP, when MAP was an idea and started being stood up. How long
0: ago was that, by the way?
1: 2010. 2010. And then it, we went live in 2011. Awesome. I've got these notebooks. I've got them at home. I look at them all the time (laughs) and make sure that I'm not losing my way here. (laughs) I love it. Literally. It's like, how do we get these services covered by insurance? Okay. So went out, started talking to insurance companies and the response that I got was a little bit more diplomatic than this, but not much more. You want us to pay your drug addicts to talk to other drug addicts? Are you crazy? We're not going to pay for that. And we didn't take that for an answer. And it took many years of believing our own BS, right? We're kind of refusing to give into that. We've since, we're in the process of getting that covered today. And by the end of this year, 167 million Americans will have coverage for peer services solely as a result of MAP. Efforts since 2010. Right now, we just have we're wrapping up 15, 16 healthcare arrangements where all the members under those plans will have peer services covered by insurance, and that is the one that comes to mind from going. We will never pay your dope fiends to talk to dope fiends to saying, "Here's the contract." Years later, it's the <laughs> opioid crisis that changed everything.
0: So. Oh my goodness, that right there is impressive, Jacob. I cannot believe. You have hung on for that long. can either. You just And now, <laughs> you're like, I, I see your face. You're like, yeah, me either. I can't believe I have. But now it, it worked. So how do you feel?
1: First of all, there's work with 130, 140 other people here at MAP who've played a huge role in that. And so I'm just kind of the guy who maybe has kicked the ball in play here and there. But far from, could I take any credit or be responsible for for that? the success we've had so far. I feel damn good. I'll tell you why because I think that that a lot of people are going to be helped by the kinds of services we're talking about. Bringing chronic management to the space of a chronic disease, standing up an industry where peers are going to be gainfully employed and truly utilized, it's going to help a lot of people. These are people we care about. These are our coworkers or friends or family. So that feels good cuz that's part of the mission. It is the mission. So, so that feels good, but it's one of those things, it's kind of anticlimactic. when we, The very first time we got this covered by insurance, it was like, my, my God, okay, now it's just another day at work. I don't know. Yeah. You're so, like, now,
0: now what do we do? Now what exactly? Now what's the big challenge we got to tackle?
1: <laughs> you got to actually provide the service. <laughs> um, and, you know, when, when you've got an insurance plan saying, we want to send you 28,000 new members every month. You know, it's like, my God, that's more people than we've ever had in our whole system. Yeah. Right. And, and and you want to send it every month. So change management and, you know, how do you go from a little idea on a spiral notebook paper to 28,000 new individuals a month, those kinds of things. I like to sleep at night. So we work hard during the day and try to resolve these issues so we can all sleep.
0: Yeah, that's some really cool stuff. So Jacob, I think about all of the companies trying to do things right now in healthcare. And for a lot of them, the clock is ticking and they, they really can't wait this long from 2011 to 2018 now what did you do in between to keep the company going did you diversify start working on other things like tell me a little bit about that
1: well i wrote a lot of checks so we, we were bootstrapped the entire way which is was painful as uh-huh. all get out but at the same time was gave us tremendous freedom and latitude because there's no board to answer to there's no investor to answer to so we were allowed to do all these pivots constantly you know, without having to go in and to a room of white hairs and explain what we were doing and why we were doing it, we just did it. So I definitely think that that was liberating and most kind of startups probably don't get that opportunity, but we diversified in the sense that we had and continue to have a significant revenue cycle division that provides claim processing services to the behavioral health space. It's not sexy. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's a darn good little business and you know it's been helpful along the way.
0: That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you you basically were able to do it without any funding. And then on the side, you had a, a little engine running that produced income yeah. that helped you guys continue with your mission.
1: Anecdotally, I think that that little division grew into, by volume, the third biggest rev cycle in the space, in the SUD mm-hmm. space, which isn't, rev cycles a small kind of vertical of SUD is kind of a smaller vertical. If you compared that to to oncology or cardiology sure. wouldn't even register sure. on the map, but yeah. kind of relevant to this space. Yeah. Yeah. We, we grew that. Look at It's important stuff. I mean, we're, we're out there advocating for patients to get coverage for, for the services they're receiving. It's not just getting claims paid. It's all also getting the coverage and the days of service through utilization management side that ensures that person holding that person's healthcare plans feet to the fire to pay for their care.
0: For sure. And, and that feels good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can imagine. And Jacob, was this company alive before you started the other one or it just came as a necessity?
1: So I went out 2012, 2013. I visited maybe a hundred treatment providers kind of across the country, just tried to understand the day in the life of an addiction treatment provider. And the one thing that was ubiquitous everywhere was I hate my revenue cycle provider. Really? that was just ubiquitous. And I came back and I thought, my God, I've got to, you know, there's an opportunity here. Yeah. So let's bundle some services together. Let's try to provide an economies, just cycle things right for disruption. It's not what we set out to do, but it's maybe outcomes, peer services data can kind of get, it can be an entree into this space through cycle, something that people have to need. And we can kind of use these, these services, bundle in and, and provide a little better rates and those things. And it worked. I mean what it ultimately nothing has been as successful for MAP as when we first started getting to buy in from the health insurance plans. That's yeah. who writes the checks. Right. But yeah, it was the right thing at the right time and I don't regret doing any of that.
0: Wow. Awesome. So listeners, take note of this. I mean, Jacob's sharing some really awesome stories. A couple things that I'd like to just point out. You know, number one, his tenacity and being able to knock on a hundred plus customers' doors looking for answers, ask the customer what they're looking for. Without even wanting to go this route, he found an opportunity. And that's something that every awesome entrepreneur that I've met does. And so kudos to you, Jacob, for doing that. And secondly, a friend, a good friend, Nick Adkins, he, uh, I, I love. He's, he's a Pink Sox movement guy. I don't know if you know him or not, Jacob. He I know yeah. yeah. He loves to say, don't chase the change follow your mission. And that's what Jacob and his team have done. They have not chased the change. They've remained focused on their mission. And now nine years later, they're here and things are going to start moving and shaking. I imagine you're probably going to be hiring a lot of people (laughs) pretty soon uh, to fulfill what you guys have set out to do. And so just uh, take note of that, listeners. And it doesn't happen overnight, but if you stay consistent, if you stay true, Everything will eventually work out. And so this is so awesome, Jacob, that you're, you and your team have experienced this uh, milestone. So congratulations.
1: Thank you, appreciate that.
0: What would you say uh, an exciting project that you're working on today
1: is? I think that IBM Watson partnership we have is super exciting because it's going to unlock a huge and massive data store that we have that has never been actionable and it's going to unlock this data. And I think it's going to propel our ability to detect early relapse in people. It's going to propel it forward and allow us to do it much more efficiently. And here's what I mean. We're utilizing Watson unstructured data. So there's tremendous amounts of data that flows into Maps environment that's unstructured phone calls, counselor notes, psych social, soap notes, things that are coming into EMRs that just from a data standpoint, just go there to die. There's no structure. Yeah. So there's no way to, to really utilize it inside of a database. Well, Watson's going to come in and just through our annotation and our work with Watson. it's going to It's structuring that info and it's going to allow us to turn that around and drive much better predictive analytics and harness this whole kind of tranche of data we've never been able to touch. That one gets me excited.
0: That is very exciting. Yes. And just being able to do the next thing with this, right?
1: It never ends and you know, <laughs> it, there's, no, there's no completion. I still feel like that we're like uh, slapping carts, you know, or wheels on a mill cart here because I I feel like they're so far to go. But yeah, that, I think that's the next big thing for us. A bunch of healthcare plans are excited about that. And I think it's going, look, it's there is no doubt that's going to make... It's like if we're playing Call of Duty, the peers are leveling up about three levels with that information (laughs) because what they're going to understand about the people that they're serving is going to be dramatically enhanced.
0: Yeah, that's super exciting. And again, in Jacob's style, you love going after the big goals. It's not just the 10%. You're going for 10x, baby.
1: You know, if we weren't, I do not mean to be cliche, but we're not in the widget business, right? We're dealing with human lives here. We've got people at the end of this who have a terminal left untreated disease. And so I feel like we have an obligation to swing for the fences and get this right. Maybe if you're creating like a printer or a a spice for a a brisket rub, you can miss the mark a little bit. No one dies. Right, right. right? But I feel like that maybe it's too big of a burden for us, some of us carry around, but I think we personalize it that if we don't get this stuff right, people die yeah and I think that for me I'll only speak for me that that drives me perhaps even too much,
0: yeah, in a big way, I could see yeah. that I could see that. I think that's uh really awesome what you guys are up to, and what the future looks like, you always have to have a compelling future as well. The good book also says, uh you know, without a vision, people perish, and so as a leader, Jacob, you're setting up an outstanding vision once again for your people and leaders, if you're at the helm of your organization. Keep this in mind because once your team reaches that goal that they've been working so hard to, what's next? You got to keep them inspired. And so, Jacob, you're doing an awesome job of that. Thank you. Let's pretend, Jacob, you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful, the ABCs or 101 of Jacob. And so we're going to help the listeners uh, get tuned in here to the syllabus, four questions, lightning round style all about improving outcomes, and then we'll follow it up with a book that you recommend to them. You ready? Oh. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare
1: outcomes? To inform the front of the care delivery process, the care continuum with information. The number one way to impact a positive or to influence a, a positive outcome is early intervention. I don't care if it's cancer, heart disease, or, or addiction. And so what we have to do is have early intervention screening techniques, assessment, risk strat, understand who's at risk for what, and basically do better triage on the front end of the care continuum and not let the acuity level get such that some people can't be brought back from the brink or that cost runs out of control. That's my reaction.
0: Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: Believing your own BS. Definitely that kind of a, which I think is very, I hear it all day, every day don't let people tell you who you are because they might not have the right motive. I think that you've got to have some some sense of identity before you go out into the world with your products and services. Otherwise, people are going to hammer them into something you don't even recognize. And that's not good. It's not good for us.
0: Were you told you were something and you just refused to accept it?
1: I've told we were not something and refused okay. to accept it. Got it. Other way around. I've told that peers aren't capable of performing the kinds of services we're talking about. But in fact, I'll put a peer up against a psychiatrist any day of the week and they'll drive a better outcome for these kinds of services because it's a hey bro, it's a hey John, I know where you are because I've been there too. Yeah. And so it's a it's a horizontal relationship. Psychiatrist is vertical and people, you know, who wants to engage with a guy in a white coat who's crunching them? I'd much okay. rather sit there and shoot the bull with someone who who knows what I've been through because they've been there too.
0: That's powerful. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
1: here's my reaction to that a couple things. Number one, you better damn well be in your clients and customer strategy. If you're not, you're going to be irrelevant very quickly. Yes. And so I think you have to understand, yeah, it's one of those things. Sales and kind of business development, I think it's back to the two eyes, two ears, one mouth. All the best biz dev folks, best sales people I know don't talk that much. They listen like crazy. They understand what the client needs and they bring a solution to a business problem. If you can't do that. You know, I wouldn't want to be your beneficiary. Secondly, you got to be disruptive, right? Go play hockey where the puck's going, not where it's been. And I think there's there's always some exceptions to some of these things. But this whole healthcare, it's also ripe for disruption, it's so inefficient. I mean, from bumper to bumper, I've never seen a more inefficient thing in my entire life. And I mean, you can go pick any aspect of this thing, and it's all ripe for disruption. It's a wounded water buffalo at, at a watering hole on the savannah. Go eat it. It's, it's way <laughs>
0: So. <laughs> I love it. What's the one focus area, Jacob, that should drive everything else in an organization?
1: This sounds like such a BS answer, but it's true. It, this is true. <laughs> it's true. Integrity and honor. Let me say it from my perspective, honor. I don't know about other organizations for me. It's the honor aspect is is critical. And then there's a litmus test. Would I want my mom, my wife, or my daughters receiving the service we provide? And if I wouldn't be comfortable with with people I love on that level receiving it, then I shouldn't be asking anyone else to either. And to me, that's tied into the honor thing. It'd be dishonorable to sell a service I wouldn't be willing to accept for my own loved one.
0: For sure, love it. What what would you recommend to the listeners, Jacob? Oh
1: man, uh, I, I'm an avid reader. I have some really weird subjects that I read about. So it would have to kind of depend on on the topic. Truly, all right. It, this is one that you've never probably gotten a response to. And I hate to say this, it's over a million words long. The four volume set regarding the Civil War, written by Shelby Foote, F-O-O-T-E. All right. And it is it took him twenty-five years to write it. And let me tell you why. Amazing. It's so important. Every facet of human personality, human triumph, human tragedy, every situation you could possibly imagine is examined in that four volume series. Wow. Through the Civil War. Right? Hmm. And it gives you tremendous insight. It has everyone from the most honorable people doing honorable things to the most terrible, you know, dastardly people of all time. And it, it, it tells you what happened as a result of their decisions and how they approach things. And to me, it's been one of the greatest like life lessons kind of books, but wrapped in a subject I care a lot about. That, which I read it, it's a million words. I go and you. Ne- I never stop reading it. It's kind of like a Bible. That is one that has taught me more about life probably than any other book I've ever read. Wow, that is definitely
0: one that we've never heard and, you- <laughs> <laughs> and you've given a very compelling reason to go check it out. So listeners, check out the syllabus where you'll find a link to this book that Jacob just recommended. All of our show notes and everything that you're looking for, just go to outcomesrocket.com Health slash map for map health management. So outcomesrocket.health slash map. You'll be able to find that in our show notes. Jacob, this has been a ton of fun. Just uh, I look at the clock and I'm like, oh wow, we're over. But it's worth it. Every minute, it has been awesome with you. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners, and then the best place where they could get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, you bet. I think you said it. I think the resiliency piece. To me, that's the number one factor in success. Intelligence helps, network helps, all those kinds of things help. It's all worthless without the ability to dig your heels in and push forward. Resiliency wins the day. And that's, that's been true in my life. Not the smartest guy, not the most connected guy, not all those things, right? But you will have to shoot me to put me down. And, <laughs> and that has served me well. And I think that's the number one factor for success.
0: Love it, and what would the best place to reach out to you or follow you be?
1: I'm not a Twitter guy. I don't waste too much time on social media. I spend more time working LinkedIn I don't even know how to tell someone to find me.
0: yeah, we could put, my put name a, in there We could put in the show notes we'll put a a link to your LinkedIn profile sure, and then maybe your company email address too, or the web address this is map dot com
1: this is map dot com that's our yeah don't ever name your company one of the like 20 most common words, in English language. You'll never, <laughs> first of all, it's, a, it's, you'll spend a huge <laughs> amount of money on copyright and trademark attorneys. Secondly, you'll never get the domain name you want. So map ends up. This is map. So I regret that. <laughs> oh one.
0: my God. I love it, man. Well, I love, I love, what a straight shooter you are and literally the gold that you just poured to our listeners. I know that they're taking notes. Don't worry, listeners, you could listen to this again. That's the beauty of the podcast. And so don't be shy, do that. And uh, Jacob, just want to say a big thank you to you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing some amazing things for healthcare.
1: Thank you, sir. Appreciate the opportunity to come on your show and share some thoughts very much.